0: So we did, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we did uh, kick off this series. Uh, this is the third week of this series. We're calling Keys to the Christian Life. We sent out a text yesterday. And just encouraged encourage everybody to go back and listen to the two preceding messages because they're sort of, they sort of build on each other. And uh, what I'm going to share today would make much more sense in, uh, in light of the previous weeks. The first week we talked about the power of the Word. Uh, last week we talked about the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so today I'm going to dive into the topic of sanctification. Now understand that that is a completely a church word, right? We call it Christianese. It's completely a church word, and there's some here who may not understand that word. So let me define what it means. The word sanctification or to sanctify is really synonymous with the word holiness. Matter of fact, they are mostly most times in Scripture they are completely interchangeable, and they have the same root. The word sanctify and the word holy. But basically it means to be dedicated to the Lord or to to be set apart for the Lord or uh, just to be dedicated to moral purity, however you want to define it. But it's the idea of separation and of being separate from the culture and the world that we live in and, and being set apart for God's use and for what God wants to do in our life. And so I want you to understand that right off the bat, if we're going to live a successful life as a Christian, if we're going to live a real life and a genuine life, then we have to live a life of surrender to the Lordship of Christ. We have to live a life... Uh, with this idea and I guess submitting to this idea of growth and sanctification in our lives as Christians. So the first thing that I want you to see in 1 Thessalonians 4 is it is God's desire for you. It being sanctification. Sanctification, it is God's desire for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 3 through 8 he says this For this is the will of God, your sanctification. He says that you abstain from sexual immorality. Let me just pause there and tell you, you can put anything in that verse. In context, the issue at the Church of Thessalonica was a lot of sexual impurity. So that's why he mentioned sexual immorality. But you can put anything in that spot. You can fill in the blank with with whatever. That you abstain from those things. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgressed and wronged his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we were t- as we told you beforehand, and Solomon warned you. Notice what he says here: For God has not called us for impurity, but in what holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Spirit, his Holy Spirit. Excuse me, to you. So I want to start off with this point in this passage because I want you to understand right off the bat that this idea of sanctification, this idea of separation and holiness and living separate from the world, it's not an option. You see, a lot of us Christians have this mentality that being a Christian is like buying a car. And I go down to the car dealership and when I buy a new car at the car dealership, I have all these options, right? I can take the mats or not take the mats, right? I can take the navigation system or not, the sunroof, I can you know, take it or leave it, um, the, the wheels, you know, whatever, the colors. I have all these options and I can sort of pick and choose what I want. And that is true when you buy a car, but that is not true when you claim to be a Christian and a disciple of Jesus Christ. I can't pick and choose what I live by. I can't pick and choose what I'm going to apply to my life and what I'm not going to apply to my life. That's what I want you to understand. It is God's desire for you to live a life of holiness and sanctification and separation. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, okay, God, I'm going to take the rest of the gospel, the rest of what you say in your word, but I'm not going to take this. You can't, uh, you can't flip a switch either because a lot of people do that. right? They, they flip a switch and they, like, they want to turn their, their Christian walk on and off Depends on, depending on uh, where they're at and who they're with and what they're going through. Other people want to sort of I call them situational Christians. They say they're a disciple of Christ. They say they're a Christian, but it depends on who they're with and the situation that they're in. Who they're with, what they're doing, where they find themselves. And they want to, again, they want to flip it on and off. But I want you to know that you, you can't do that. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. Who I am in Jesus Christ affects every single detail in my life. And it's not something. That I can flip on and off like a light switch. It's not something where that I can read the Bible and then pick and choose what I'm going to let speak to my life and apply to my life. You're either in Him or you're not. So, so let me deal with those two things. If you're not in Him, my, prayer, my sincere prayer for you today is that you just quit playing games with God. Amen. And that you will surrender your life to Him once and for all. Everything in your life. If you are in Him, and if you are a Christian... My prayer is that your eyes are open this morning. And that if there's some issue of hypocrisy or some issue that you're holding on to or something that you won't lay down, that you decide that today is the day I'm going to lay that down. That today is the day I'm truly going to let Jesus be Lord and Savior in every aspect of my life and that you will let the Father have His way. That's my prayer. So whichever one of those applies to you, that's what I've been praying. It, It seems like I say it all the time, but... Jesus didn't go to a cross. He didn't live a sinless life and and suffer as he did and die as he did so we can walk down an aisle and pray a prayer and then go live however I want for the next 20 years. That's not the way it works. Again, I can't pick and choose what what I live by and what I don't live by. So the reality is that Jesus went to the cross. He suffered as he did. He lived a sinless life. He, He died on the cross for you and I. And then he gives us the power to become what he calls us to be. You see, not 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 not. He doesn't just set a standard and say, "Okay, you're on your own, right?" But he sets the standard, and then he says, "Okay, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the power to become what I'm calling you to be." It's not it's not about me becoming something that he expects me to be. It's about me allowing him to work in me and producing what he wants to produce in my life. You say, "Okay, Pastor, what's that look like?" It looks like a person whose whose life mirrors Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like. That you know my that every every aspect of my personality mirrors Christ. Every aspect of my character mirrors Him. Every every attitude and this is where I struggle. I'll be honest. That every attitude <laughs> that every attitude in my life mirrors that of Jesus Christ. And when somebody talks to me, regardless of where I am or what I'm doing, that when they speak to me, they see the person of Jesus. That's what it looks like. That my life reflects the heart of Jesus Christ to everyone at all times because I can't turn it on and off. That that's that's what it looks like. Let me share another passage with you that that proves that this is the Father's desire. One of the most awesome accounts in Scripture, I believe, and I, and I love it, is the account of Paul's conversion. The Bible talks about it and talks about how. He was on the road to Damascus, right? And he meets Jesus, and Jesus rocked his world. Jesus radically changed him. The cool thing is that Paul gets a testimony of that very event in Acts chapter 26. I want to share this with you, because if you, if you know the story, you know that it was a radical change. But before he meets Jesus, Paul was like the number one enemy of the church, right? I mean, he's tormenting Christians. He actually has paperwork. He's dragging Christians to court, having them condemned to death. I'm personally convinced that he was at the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. Matter of fact, I think he even threw a rock. I think he was there. He watched it happen. And God used that throughout the rest of his life. But listen, so that, that was the Paul before, but then we, then we read about him encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it's a completely different person, right? Yeah. He goes from the biggest enemy of the church to the biggest proponent of the church. Spreading the gospel. He's responsible for the majority of the New Testament that, that God produced through him. Complete radical change. And, and I love that. Because that's what it ought to be. <laughs> that's what it ought to be. That's what it was in my life and that's what it was in countless others I know. But, but the cool thing is, is what Paul says. Paul says that Jesus told him he's sending him to the Gentiles which ultimately is who? Is us. us. Anyone outside the Jewish faith, the Gentiles. He says, I'm sending you, Paul, to the Gentiles. Notice what he says. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Notice this last phrase. And an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This whole sanctification thing is not optional. That's what I want you to see in this first point. It is not optional. It is those people who inherit heaven. That's what he says right there. It, or to, that you may receive an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So the Father's desire is that we know him and that we surrender our life to him, every bit of our life. You see, we're real bad to compartmentalize and hold on to issues and let him let, let be Lord, you know, Sundays, but then Monday through Saturday we live a completely different life, right? Or we're real bad to even play the part, but then hold back areas or hold on to things that that we won't surrender to it. But I'm telling you that he's. This old saying goes: He's the Lord of all, or He's not Lord at all. Yeah. Everything in your life, and His desire is that you will surrender whatever it is, whatever He's been driving into, into your spirit about getting go of. You just need to let go of. It. You need to give it to Him. That's His desire. So where are you in that process? Where are you in that process? Do you have the relationship that he's called you to have? What is it he's been calling you to lay down? My prayer is that today you will lay that thing down. Number two, I want you to see that it's a personal possession through Christ. First Corinthians one thirty says this, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and what? Redemption. I'm going to be real with you for just a minute because when I say the word holiness I know what pops in your mind for, for a lot of people when they hear the word sanctification or they hear the word holiness they think about some old lady at the church who wears a dress who wears her hair up in a bun who doesn't wear jewelry who doesn't wear makeup who doesn't have a TV and her whole life is no, 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 no you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. There's this big old long list, and and it does require action. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to understand that I am not talking about some religious ritual. I'm not talking about some legalistic list of rules and regulations, what you can do and what you can't do. That's not at all what I'm talking about. Sometimes those things are the result of holiness, but they are not the route. To holiness. <coughs> let me say that again. Sometimes those things are the result of holiness, but they are not the route to holiness. What do you mean, preacher? I mean, sometimes those, those things that you see in people are the result of God working in them, and he's convicted them of those things, and they don't do those things, but they're not getting holiness by those things. You're not getting there through any action or ritual or any kind of legalism like that. So let me give you some examples, okay? So, If I'm in Christ, if you're truly in Christ, I believe there is a hunger for for His Word, there is a hunger for prayer, for communion with Him, right? That's a result of truly being His. But the flip side of it is, I can't read enough of the Bible or pray enough to make myself holy. Let me give you another example. If you are in Christ, I believe there is a sincere, earnest desire to worship and to fellowship with the church. Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you will want to fellowship with the body. Amen? That's a result of truly being His. But again, the flip side of that is, I can't worship enough, and I can't be at church enough to earn holiness. It's not about earning. Let me share a quote with you I ran across this week that I love. It just sums this whole idea up. It's actually from Oswald Chambers and in his devotion called my utmost most for his highest but look at what he says here he says the expression of Christian character is not good doing but God likeness you can stop with that first sentence but it, but it gets better he says if the spirit of God has transformed you within <coughs> you will exhibit you will exhibit divine characteristics in your life not good human characteristics God's life in us expresses itself as God's life not as human life, trying to be what? God. Let's jump back up to that passage at the top. But of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What's he saying? He's saying that I possess holiness and I possess wisdom and I possess righteousness and any other attribute you want to add that's an attribute of God. I possess those things not because of anything I've done, but because I am in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying there. In Christ, you possess these things. It's not about what I do. It's about what he's already done. Of, of him, you are in Christ Jesus. So here, here's the deal. When, when you look at someone's life and you see these things, when you look at my life or whoever's life and you see those characteristics... You've got to understand, I'm not doing those things to earn my way there, but those things are a fruit of what's already there. You will exhibit divine characteristics in your life, not good human characteristics. There's a difference. What you see is not an attempt to earn something. What you see is the fruit of something that's already there. You see, a lot of Christians get this all wrong, and they get the cart before the horse. And they think that, well, hey, I, it's all about me doing, 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 and, and, and living by this, and not doing this, and doing this, and, and I can earn my way there. And they think they can get there on their own. And then that mentality bleeds over into the church. right? And, we, and when people come into the church who don't know Jesus, we expect them to act like they've been a Christian for 20 years. right? We want to hold them to a standard they can't achieve because they don't have the Holy Spirit of God within them. any thought any thought that enters your mind about you doing this and you being what you are because of who you are is straight from the pit of hell I'll just be honest with you that's pride and that's straight from the pit of hell you being holy and righteous and sanctified whatever term you want to use has nothing to do with who you are it's all about what he done Because you are that in Christ. And outside of Christ and without Christ, you are nothing. It's it's not about you. It's about Him. (laughs) So my question is, are you resting in what Jesus did? I mean, I I love serving the Lord. And man, we need more servants. We, We always need more people serving. But the Christian walk is not about doing, doing, and doing. It's about being. And letting Him produce those things in my life. It's not about me earning those things. All right? Number three, it comes through the Word by the Spirit. John seventeen, seventeen 17-19. He says, sanctify... This is the Word of Jesus, by the way. Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Again, the last two weeks we've talked about this, how the Word and the Holy Spirit work in tandem. As I read the Word, what happens? The Holy Spirit within me searches my heart. He reveals things in my heart that's not right. He reveals motives that are not right. He reveals you know, the intent behind what I do that's not right, whatever. As I read the Word, He searches those things, and He reveals those things. And because we do that, and if we allow that to happen, what happens? growth and correction and healing. Things happen that can happen no other way because the Holy Spirit in me knows me better than I know myself. If He's in you, He knows you better than you know yourself and He'll point out things to you you don't even see yourself as you read the Word and as you let Him search your heart. This is why we got to recognize the authority and the power of the Word and respect and recognize the working of the Holy Spirit. But here's what happens. Here's the problem. Sometimes what happens is we are reading the Word and the Holy Spirit brings something up to us and we think, well, that's not an issue. Or, well, that's just a small thing. No need to worry about that. But what happens is a lot of times the small thing leads to something bigger. A lot of times the small thing is the root of something much, much larger. So when I minimize anything that the Holy Spirit reveals to me, I'm on dangerous ground. Anytime I ignore things that He shows me, anytime I minimize them or filter them, or anytime I just keep ignoring what the Holy Spirit is showing me, I'm on dangerous ground. John twelve thirty five says this, Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. We have to respond to the light that we already possess. The way I've always loved to think about it is, is like this. It's sort of like a scroll. My, my walk with the Lord, my, my Christian life, it's like a scroll. And God unrolls a little bit. And as, as I step into what He shows me and what He's revealed me, guess what happens? He unrolls a little more. And as I step into that, He unrolls a little more. It's just a constant progression of light and of revelation and of becoming what He's taught us to be. But if I never take this step, if I just ignore everything the Spirit showing me, then I never move. Right? And that's why there's Christians who have sat on church trees for 40 years that are no different today than they were 40 years ago. Because week after week, guess what? They sit there, the Holy Spirit is searching their heart. He's showing them things in their life that's not right. I know He does because that's who He is. And they just completely ignore them. They filter them, they shut them down, they minimize them. Whatever they do, but they don't respond. And they sit right where they are. And 20 years from now, they'll be right in the same place because they keep shutting down the ministry of the Holy Spirit because sanctification and holiness comes through the Word and by the Spirit. Here's the other thing. The instant that we do that, the instant that we minimize or filter or downplay, the instant that we do not respond to that check of the Holy Spirit we regress. We move backwards. It's absolutely the way it works. You don't you don't in neutral. There is no neutral in the Christian walk. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. In the instant you don't respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you're going backwards. You may not recognize it, you may not realize it, but you are. That's why we have to deal with those things in our life that He reveals. And this process is what the Christian life is all about every day of our lives, just living out the truth that I profess to believe. Again, every every sphere of my life, it affects everything that I am and everything I'm involved with. I can't shut it down. I can't turn it off. I can't apply it sometimes and not apply it other times. And as I said a while ago, the, the most awesome thing is God doesn't call me to do something and leave me to my own resources. He calls me to become this and then He empowers me by His Holy Spirit to be just that. Romans eight thirteen. It says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, what's he say? You will live. He calls us to holiness, he gives us principles of his word, he gives us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us, he guides us, he empowers us to become who he's calling me to be. We're very good at making things very complicated. This is not complicated. It's not complicated at all. Matter of fact, I can boil this whole thing down to two words. Your entire Christian walk in two words. You ready? The first one is relationship. Relationship. What do you mean? I mean, your number one job, really your only job, is to maintain that relational connection with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, by faith. It's not about doing. I'm not talking about doing, doing, doing. I'm talking about you living and and maintaining that vital connection by faith. I I love this because the reality is that's the only thing you can control. That's all you can control. You can't control a church, and which way a church is going and what happens with the church building and what happens in our businesses and in our lives and in our marriages and our kids. Right? (laughs) I can't control those things. Some of them drive me crazy. (laughs) But I can't control. All that I can control is that connection I have with God. I have absolute 110% control over that connection. And I have to keep that right. The second word after relationship is response. Response. The Christian walk in two words. Number one is relationship. Keeping that connection what it should be. And number two is responding. What do you mean, preacher? I mean responding in obedience to whatever he shows me. That means if I'm walking and I have that connection and he shows me something in my life that's not right, I have to deal with it. Can't minimize it, can't push it to the side. i got to deal with it right then. And, and that the Christian life is really that simple. I walk with him, and I respond to him. I do those two things. I keep the relationship right, and I respond to what he shows me. Church, we have to quit downplaying and minimizing and ignoring. To be the individuals he's calling us to be, we have to keep this right. To be the church he's calling us to be, I can promise you, we have to keep this right. We've got to do it. Relationship and response. Number four, I want you to see it requires our earnest pursuit. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue holiness. Literally the, the word is follow after. Good. Good next one. Right. Hebrews twelve fourteen Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That word pursue holiness literally means to follow after. Actually, the word picture is of a hunter who is hunting prey. And he pursues that prey until he gets it. That's, that's the word picture of what this word means. And, I, and I'll share when I open. The, the word sanctification, the word holiness, they are interchangeable. In, in, in 99.9% of the times of Scripture. You can just swap them. They have the same root. They mean the same thing. I said a while ago it's not about doing, it's about resting in what He's done. But there is action that we have to take, and this is our action. Our action is to pursue, to pursue Him, to pursue holiness, to follow after Him. Again, keeping that relational connection right, and pursuing those things. What happens if I do nothing? If you do nothing, you're moving backwards. Your in, uh, what was I uh, heard lately? Your indecision is a decision. <clears throat> your indecision to to respond is actually a decision to respond, and you're moving backwards. Why are you moving backwards? Because there's three constant forces opposing you: the flesh, your flesh, the world, and Satan. And those three are constantly pushing back against you and where God wants you to be. There's constant conflict with our flesh, right? It's always warring with the Spirit. We have to choose which one we're going to listen to, which one we're going to follow. There's constant conflict with the world. By the world, I mean just our culture and the system of the world. Because that's how the enemy works. And, the, and culture, just slip on the news for ten minutes, you'll see it. Culture is pushing back against where God wants you to go. And the third one is the enemy, Satan. He's playing obstacles, he's playing traps, traps excuse me, stumbling blocks, whatever. And I have all that. I have those three forces opposing me. The flesh, uh, the world, and the enemy are opposing me on top of the distractions of life, on top of work and family and just life in general. What I want you to see is it requires effort. It requires effort to stay where God wants me to be. It doesn't just happen. A couple weeks back we did a, a message entitled Who Moved? And so I'll go back and listen to it if you didn't catch it. But the idea here is that if you're not where you ought to be with God, then God's not the one who moved. You moved. Either you, you made a decision to move or your indecision was a decision to move. And these three forces of the flesh, the world, and the enemy have just pushed you backwards. Let me share Let me share another verse with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to sort of shoot down a side road and we'll, we'll tie this back in. This is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Favorite verses. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. One of the questions you get asked a lot as a pastor is, Pastor, if I'm a new creation and all things are new, then why am I still dealing with this stuff? Why do I still have these issues in my life, right? The other thing you hear in the church is there's been a constant bickering and squabbling and arguing over sanctification, this whole idea. Is it instant or is it progressive? I mean, that's that's the debate. We'll get to that in a second. But if I am a new creation, and if old things have passed away, why do I still struggle with those things in my past? I mean, that's a real question, right? Amen? I think those instant and progressive guys are right. I, 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 can t- <laughs> I can tell you when the Lord rocked my world there were some things that left me instantly gone stuff that had been in my life for decades instantly gone didn't want no more of them didn't want nothing to do with it but there's also things like those attitudes I, t- I talked about a well while ago right? there's also stuff that's still here So and he's working on those things and he's working out those things so if you, really, if you literally take this verse the way it reads, you are instantly, you are a new creation. If you are in Christ, the moment you got up off your knees, when you said amen, you are new in Christ. Going back to that verse we read a while ago. You are new in Christ. And those old things have passed away. They are gone. But this phrase, all things have become new, the literal translation is... Well, literally, it means things, continually and progressively, things are becoming new. Like it started when I received Christ and it will work in a progression until the day I go to heaven. So yes, I am instantly a new creation in Christ, but He is also working out those things in my life progressively as He shows me those things and I submit them and deal with them. It's just a constant growth, right? It's the constant growth Conformance to the image and to the person of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So, if you are in Christ, you are new positionally, instantly. Old things are gone and you are becoming new. You with me? Amen. Amen. Alright, so let's jump back to the earnest pursuit. So if if it is pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see God. Again, the idea is that our role, our job is a continual pursuit of those things. Like that hunter pursuing his prey. I have to pursue those things. Why? Why do I have to pursue it? I have to pursue it because God wants to be involved in the process. I have to pursue it Because God does give me the power to transform and the power to become through His Holy Spirit, but He doesn't force anything on me. The old saying is that God is a gentleman and He didn't do things against my will. So so our job is a continual submission to the Holy Spirit, going back to when I'm revealing the Word or I'm in worship or wherever, small groups or wherever, and He reveals those things, I have to deal with them. I have to submit to the Holy Spirit and let Him work out those things in my life because He will not change me against my will. He won't change you against your will. He doesn't do that. So we have to pursue them, just like the the hunter pursuing His prey. So again, one day, all this will be over. Looking forward to that day. Amen. Amen. One day it will be over. We will be perfect. We will be completely sanctified the day that we go to heaven, and we're forever free from sin. That day is coming, but until that day, I have to pursue sanctification. I have to pursue holiness. That's what He tells me in that verse. You say, Pastor, what's that look like? It looks like two things: relationship and response. The first thing I have to do every day is separate myself unto God. That relationship—I got to get that relationship right. I got to keep it right. <clears throat> I can't do that if all I do is a 30 second devotion on my way out the door. It takes time time in the Word, time for the Spirit to search my heart, time to deal with those things. But I got to s- separate myself unto God, the relationship. And then number two, the response I got to s- separate ourselves from every form of evil. It, again, it ain't about doing. You know, not doing those things. It's not about a list of rules, but God will show me things in my life that I don't need to be doing. Or conversations I don't need to have. Or, you know, whatever. Places I don't need to go. Things I don't need to watch. Things I don't need to listen to. Whatever. And as He shows me those things, I have to deal with it. I have to submit them to the Lordship of Christ and say, okay, Lord, I won't go there anymore. That's what it looks like. Relationship and response. I say this all the time, but... The goal is that every day I look more like Jesus than I did yesterday. That's the goal. I focus on the relationship. The only thing I can control. If you really think about it, that's all you can control. I focus on my relationship with the Lord. I keep it right. And I respond to what he shows me. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. He's going to show me things that I don't want to deal with. But guess what? i got to deal with it. Because I've got to become who he's calling me to be that applies to our church and that applies to everyone in this room as individuals and we have to do that I want to share two passages of scripture with you and I'll close And if you would just come on up the first one is Matthew 5.48 Matthew 5.48 he says therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect and the second one is this Luke six forty six, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? That's the one that just kept coming to me throughout this whole thing. Because a lot of times we say he's Lord and we say he's our master, but when the time comes, we choose our will over his. Right? We choose what we want over what he wants. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? If you want to stand to your feet, we'll have time to respond.